Hey, this is Chris. Before we get to the show, let me tell you a little bit about Anchor. Anchor is our way of we record podcasts. Fantastic. Let me tell you why. It's easy. It's free. There are creation tools that we can record and edit your podcast right from your phone and your computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on such um, providers as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many, many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need in a podcast and so much more. Check out Anchor, and you can find it all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Anchor, it's a fantastic way of creating your first podcast and making it work. All right, back here in the Ohio podcast, Ohioan podcast, I have Jake Zuckerman here from the Ohio Capital Journal uh, for the first time. I, I got the name right. I'm not sure why I'm um, having trouble with Jake this morning, but Jake, welcome. How's it going today? Uh, doing good. Everyone gets the name wrong, so that's what it. Yeah, it's outrageous sometimes how I get names wrong, but hey, it's all good. Hey, I wanted to talk to you. You had some reporting that came out on Friday morning on the High Capital Journal talking about militias and important reporting. I got to say it's a little bit scary uh, because the headline talks about how um, obviously there were some Ohio militia members involved in the Capitol attack on, on January 6th. But it, from your reporting, it sounds like this wasn't just come up with in January. It was actually being planned as early as November. Uh, tell me about the story. That's correct. So, I mean, let's point out that these are just allegations at this point, although the three have been indicted. But what federal prosecutors are saying is basically going back to November 9th, which would put it at about a couple days after the networks first projected a Joe Biden video, which is usually how Americans understand it. This group started forming, I, I don't think it was necessarily a raid on the Capitol, but they were planning something and they were openly talking about violence and violent intentions. They were training in paramilitary fashion. They were gearing up. They were using a Zello app, which is basically a walkie-talkie app for new members. You know, they, they were bracing themselves for something and they've been hit with conspiracy charges, which would be federal prosecutors alleging that no, this wasn't some spur-of-the-moment thing incited by anyone's speech that day. This was a planned and coordinated event. Resources, it took thinking, and it took Was this planned all around, or was, it, was there a lot of playing in Ohio, or were people kind of using Zoom calls, or how did that come across? So right now we only have to know exactly what was happening, some intercepted communications that the feds have, um, some radio communications, and then a scarce two interviews. So we don't have a total picture, but what we can tell is Jessica Watkins, who is from Woodstock, Ohio, runs what's called this, Ohio, she calls it the Ohio State Regular Mode. Whether you want to call it a militia or not is, is really just a language game, but at the end of the day, they wear combat fatigues, they appear at these political protests, they say that they're there to protect people. That's you know their their explanation of what they're doing. But there's a certain menacing presence from them if you've ever seen them at these protests. And they, as we now know, were using Zello. They were using Facebook. They were texting each other. They were communicating with 
fellow Oath Keepers, which is a broader militia group from Mississippi, from North Carolina. You know, I mean, they were organizing some kind of coordinated action that appears to have been violent in Washington, D.C., that was directly tied into the inauguration. Of wow. What do you think this means? I know you cover more of Ohio politics for Ohio Capital Journal, but I think about the upcoming impeachment trial, which is going to start in about a week. Uh, the fact that they were playing it as early as November, what do you think that might do to the impeachment trial? Because a lot of the allegations were based on, hey, you know, based on things that the president said at a rally a few hours before the um, the attack. You know, I mean, I think in in Congress, anything that happens in the Capitol building is political. How much mm -hmm. tries to tell you otherwise. But I also think that after what we saw January 6th and after a lot of details are emerging about the role that groups like the Oath Keepers played, which includes these Ohio people and the Proud Boys, I have to imagine that members are concerned for their own personal safety. I mean, the Capitol was overtaken. The police were unprepared. So I think that they're not just considering the impeachment of a former president or the politics of an impeachment vote. But I think it'd be a little bit naive to think that lawmakers aren't considering their own safety and the kind of, you know, I mean, we've kind of normalized it at a point, but in any given day when these people send out a message on Twitter, the replies are just loaded with people calling them Nazis and throwing death threats out there. And, you know, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, the congresswoman from Georgia, she's just now under fire for some death threats that emerged from her toward Nancy Pelosi, or at least her interacting with those death threats on Facebook. But this isn't new. You know, this has been a part of politics for some years, just this extremist and violent rhetoric. So I think that when these militia groups are showing this level of organization and coordination, I mean, I, I think it puts fear in people's bones, reasonably so. So you think that's going to impact, maybe it's not even just the speech, but just kind of, uh, shall we say the environment that maybe has been created? Because obviously this wasn't the only tough words that came from like the president or a certain political party. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do. And also, I mean, I think the politics play in with the personal safety considerations. You know, if it takes 60 some votes in the U.S. Senate, I think it's 67, but please don't quote me on that, um, to convict. If you think, if you are a senator who would like to see Trump impeached, but you know that the votes aren't there to get a full conviction. So your vote is almost irrelevant to the outcome that's going to happen, even if it does matter, you know, as an elected official. Maybe you do just vote to acquit after having seen what happened. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I just think that I think it really plays a role, which which is part of why people are discussing whether this kind of stuff should be called terrorism. You know, if your violent actions are affecting the behavior of elected officials and government actors, that would seem to qualify as terrorism by most definitions, if not by like the statutory definitions in law. So I think that this is really what the American public and members of Congress are wrestling with now. There's more questions being posed uh, statewide because you, you're there with um, often with the wine press conferences and everything, you know, kind of talking about what can be done from a state perspective. And I, I don't know. It'll be interesting to know how long that our government has known about here in Columbus. 
But it, it sounds like a lot more of that is happening closer to Ohio than we normally thought. I, I think back to Gretchen Whitmer. You know, there were some um, attacks planned against her. And, you know, some of those plans are actually meeting Dublin, which is, you know, very near uh, Columbus. Do you think Ohio is taking a closer look? I mean, it sounds like they need to, but do you think Ohio is kind of closely taking a look at things like the people that you wrote about as well as some of these other things that are happening around Ohio? Well, I can tell you this. On November 7th, which was actually the day that the networks called the election for Biden, mm-hmm. the new, and it's kind of standard now, but we usually call them clashing protests. You know, the Trump people came out and the Biden people came out. A lot of jabber drawing back and forth. The Ohio State regular militia, which are members of the Oath Keepers, actually showed up at the Ohio Capitol. They were in combat fatigues. They had goggles and helmets. You know, they, they really looked like the National Guard if you weren't paying close attention. Mm-hmm. And they told me, they wouldn't give me their names when I met them and interviewed them at the time, but they said they were there to protect people. And I asked the Ohio Department of Homeland Security about this because, you know, police officers are accountable a governor. The National Guard is under control of the governor. This is just a militia. These are just people who have appointed themselves as some kind of security force. And Homeland Security's response to me was basically Ohio's open carry laws allow them to openly carry firearms. And the First Amendment to the Constitution says they have the right to peacefully assemble and protest. So there's nothing that can be done. And certainly there's no question that they're correct in interpreting the First Amendment and open carry laws. But these people were very open about their planning. This was happening on Parler. This was happening on Facebook. So the fact that Homeland Security had pictures of these people, they knew that this militia group was appearing. It later became clear that this militia group had been all over Ohio at protests and even made it to Louisville for Breonna Taylor protests. I don't know that there's any strong evidence that Homeland Security took this threat seriously. And meanwhile, right around the time they appeared, this new indictment reveals that that's when they started the violent planning. So I, I find that to be a non-promising sign as far as how seriously the government has taken this. Yeah. I'm mean, actually the first step I actually saw the state did something was, you know, you think back to those protests that happened. Um, I think it was about two Sundays ago now um, where they actually had national guard members come and, Thankfully, the protest was a little bit more on the silly side than on the violent side. But I kind of wonder, I guess the unanswered question is, was it because the protest wasn't as serious as people thought it might be? Or is it because the National Guard people scared them off? Or was it just a little bit more colder than we thought it would be? Um, yeah, but, but that to me, that seemed to be the first time it seemed like Ohio took a more proactive step against some of this stuff. Sure, and I'd agree. And, you know, the Constitution protects the right to peacefully protest. But I think that Sunday was a great example that at least questioning what exactly is a peaceful protest. Is a protest peaceful if 25 men in masks show up with rifles and the Ohio National Guard is also there with their own rifles in case something happens? There are Biden people and there are Trump people. So there's a lot of incivility and yelling and more normal protest activities. But when these are just armed encampments. I mean, what does it really take to set off a gunfight? A simple miscommunication, a a weapon misfiring? I mean, it just seems like a lot of these protests are pretty close to erupting into something that everyone does not want to happen. Have you guys heard any feedback from that, from some of the uh, groups that were involved? It it seemed like 
uh, to like the dispatch and you guys and everybody else, there was a very oh you know we're just protesting we're not that big of a, a issue. And then uh, fact checkers back at the publications newsrooms were finding out hey there is other stuff involved. Was there any feedback that you've heard from some of these militia groups about kind of how that protest went at the state house? You know, I haven't heard much. I, I'm not in contact with any of the Boogaloo members that were there, which is how that group identifies themselves. Yeah. I know when they were there, they were they were calling for unity, mm -hmm. which, you know, I, I don't take serious. I think that if you want unity, you don't hold a rifle. You know, I mean, that's just like Orwellian in a certain way. Um, so, no, I, I didn't hear anything. I'm not really tapped into Boogaloo Networks. But I think what we know, and I think what more information is coming out, is that wasn't an overreaction by the government. There were threats against Ohio. I mean, the people who stormed the Capitol, Jessica Watkins and Donovan Crawl and them, the feds included a communication from them saying, this was great. Let's do this in Ohio. Let's storm the Ohio Capitol. So this, yeah. you know, these were dangerous people kicking around dangerous ideas, at least according to evidence prosecuted. How do you think the Republican Party is is reacting to stuff like this? I mean, I, obviously, it would be wrong to say, hey, this is a Republican Party. It's it's not. But these represent a faction of the Republican Party. You know, as, you know, Congress is considering what to do with the second impeachment of Trump and everything, is, is there some kind of conflicting feelings in the Republican Party? Because I, I can't imagine that a majority of them would support these groups. But then on the other hand, you, you, I, I guess there'd be some fear of saying, hey, if we really fracture, we're not going to win anymore. Um, how do you think the Ohio Republican Party and the federal is responding to some of this stuff? I, I think it's mostly silence. I mean, if, if there has been some kind of condemnation, I haven't heard it or detected it, not from, not from the guns that are appearing at the protests. There's this new trend of protesters going to the personal homes of elected officials and public officials that you know, I, I don't hear active encouragement of it, but you would think that that's where someone would draw the line and say, hey, do not bring your guns to anyone's yeah. homes. They have kids. We have to draw a line somewhere. That message is not coming from the Republican Party. And these protesters are, it's not to say that they're in any way formalized by the party, but they are completely in line with Republican politics right now. And the Republicans in the legislature appear, are back to introducing bills to take away Mike DeWine's coronavirus power, which is right at the beating heart of a lot of this. So I, I wouldn't say that they're encouraged, but they certainly have condemned it. And I think you can make a reasonable case that there's a wink and a nod of okaying this stuff. I think that's going to be the, it's fascinating. It's going to be, I mean, we've reported a lot this week about, you know, the upcoming governor race and the upcoming center race. And I think especially look at the Republican side, it's going to be fascinating because I think there's a certain group of, shall we say, Trump loyalists that tend to be a little bit more supportive of, hey, let's take a more bigger action here. And there's another group of Republican moderates who are like, hey, you know, we got to stop this. You know, this is a little bit too crazy. So I, personally, for me, it's interesting to see what side of the party wins out because I really think there's a, a fracturing. And yeah, maybe they're not telling it to us here in the media, but I, I think it's out there, and it's a lot more than uh, it's going to be on the scenes. I think we ever know. So that'll be really interesting. Um, 
what else? What else from the article did you come up with? I want to make sure I didn't miss anything, or if there's something you wanted to share from that. Um, you know, one thing I've been reporting on is not just the vaccine rollout, but some of these anti-vaccine groups in Ohio. Mm-hmm. That in, in in a lot of ways it is related to the stuff we saw in January six. You know, it's the same anti-government, anti-science, anti-media anti-academia through line between this sort of stop the steal worldview and an anti-vaccine worldview. And these anti-vaccine groups have a lot of clout in the legislature. I think more clout than people understand. I mean, can I swear on this podcast? Yeah, I can you too, sure. Yeah, so in April, the Ohio House Health Chairman said to an anti-vaccine group, you know, he was Skyping into their meeting. He said, I'm gonna need energy from this group. We have to stop this vaccine shit that's coming. Yeah, which you know, this is an American public that is just anxiously waiting and holding their arms out, trying to get a dose of vaccine in it. And meanwhile, people with unique control over the state budget and over state policy are trying to stop, are explicitly talking about stopping a vaccine rollout. And just the other day, a TV reporter got a camera in in Scott Lip's face and asked him, "What did you mean by those comments?" And he clarified that I didn't mean stop; I meant slow down. Which is arguably no better. I mean, who? It's just, it's so divorced from reality right now, where everyone, you know, groups are fighting to get included on these prioritization lists. And everyone is just sitting at home waiting to get a shot in our arms so we can go back to the bars and back to the restaurants and back to see our grandmothers. And people in power are, are actively resisting that, which I, I think is it's beyond the pale. Well, I think the shame of it is, you know, we're still allowed in, you know, here in the country to, you know, maybe say, hey, this might not be the best idea, or maybe there's a different way of approaching it. But the thing that shocks me, especially in the health crisis, is that people are coming out and just with these huge blanket statements in a health crisis. I, I to me, that just seems incomprehensible. Where, you know, not that you shouldn't present a dissenting opinion. But when you're sitting out there saying, oh, they don't work, they don't work. Well, they have been working for people. I, I just, it, it shocks me, these statements that tend to be against health in general, not even a science issue. I, I think that's what scares me about, you know, some of the people out there that do stuff like that. I mean, we can call them lies. At least I'm comfortable calling them lies. I mean, there there are, there's room for reasonable discussion. of Can, can the government force you to wear masks? Can the government make certain decisions about how you live your life or business. And those are reasonable discussions to have. But so much of the messaging is that masks don't work and the vaccines are Bill Gates chips into your brain. I mean, it's just nonsense and it's complete. Any vaccine has a certain risk of a medical reaction. And that's that's a, that's a real risk. But the risk is infinitesimally small. I mean, it's it's so you're more likely to, oh, probably get struck by lightning than have an adverse reaction most vaccines. But if you listen to the messaging from these groups, you'd think it's a coin flip. I mean, it's it's just outrageous distortions and lies of clinical data that's available, not only available, but necessary for a vaccine to make it to market. Well, and it's expanded political talk to try and make a political point. But it's scary because it's one thing if you're just debating, okay, taxes should be higher, taxes should be lower. You know, you can have a debate either way, you know, whatever, but it gets scary when it gets to a, a point where you're talking about people's health. And if people accept something based on political talk that's not true, I mean, it's life or death. I mean, you know, 
And it's more life or death than maybe a tax debate would be. That's the thing that kind of just blows me away sometimes. All right. Well, well Jake, what's next? Uh, I'm hearing you're doing a lot of great reporting on the militias. Obviously, the militias are going away. This is the last thing we could say about militias. What are you kind of looking at next uh, with Ohio Capital Journal? Well, the militias are interesting. I'm certainly interested to learn more about how this prosecution goes and what more details come to light. I'm not really expecting any response from the Ohio legislature. I think they've proven they're not interested in gun control or they just passed Daniel Brown. They're expanding gun rights, not curtailing them. So I, I wouldn't expect any serious legislative crackdown. Uh, I'm very interested in the budget. You know, it's going to be a starved yeah. budget year. And especially that so much of the national conversation has been what went so wrong. And one of the through lines, is, which is especially true in Ohio, is that our public health system is underfunded. I mean, these these local health departments were exhausted and underfunded before the pandemic. And the workload of a pandemic has not in any way fixed that problem. So is Ohio going to really start investing in public health? Are we going to learn something or are we going to leave things flat, defund public health? And I think as part of that conversation, you have to look at Senate Bill 311 last year and Senate Bill 22, I think the number is this year, which are both really attempts to take power from the Ohio Department of Health and the governor and give it to lawmakers in terms of public health orders are made and out. So the legislature is certainly moving in a direction against the will of public health, public, you know, hospital associations, public health departments came out very clearly against these ideas. So what does that mean for the budget? I think that'll be really interesting. Definitely. Hey, I want to ask you two kind of fun question to wrap this up. Um, you know, you're not always there to divine press conferences, but you know, in the media, we always watch the divine press conferences and you've been asking questions and everything. It seems like they've taken on a life of their own. You know, a lot of places are still showing them live on TV and anything. Do you get any strange letters from people after you ask a question at the, like, do you get emails or maybe, like, some responses on Twitter? It seems like a lot of people from, you know, bloggers that we know that ask, you know, anti-vax questions at the line to regular media members, it seems like a lot of times think they're life of their own. Do you hear a lot from people who watch the press conferences? Yeah, I mean, I found, I think there's a question of, like, marginal utility here. I've just gotten increasingly bored with the press conferences and found that they've been of less news value. And, you know, the, if he's going to announce hard news, there's going to be a I'm not burning 90 minutes from my day to see the governor oftentimes evade questions. And, you know, the forum, given that reporters are Skyping in, you can't really follow up like you'd want to. You can't, you only get one question. So, you know, it's not really a great news gathering forum. So I increasingly tune them out. But I do find when I ask a question that, yeah, to your, to your point, I get a lot of reader emails saying, hey, can you ask about this? I've been thinking about this. Often lead to great stories of their own. And this all, it seems to me it's more of a pop culture thing than stories, which isn't good for <laughs> the news value of it. But, you know, from franchising re recipes and family stories to it, it seems like we're showing 10 different people getting vaccinated each press conference, too, which, again, I'm all for vaccinations. I'm all for health. It just it, it gets a lot sometimes, especially when some of us are on deadline. <laughs> we're like, come on, let's have a news first. And at the end, we can vaccinate the whole world. But. It's I'll always there's, there's no greater stinger than coming up with a great question and just being like, this is it. I got him. This is the question. 
and then it just gets blown off and then your mic is muted and you hear and next question will be yes it's, it's always good so I don't know. Yeah, well, um, Tyler and I always love talking about the Evergreen tweet that Tyler used to always put out uh, in terms of one of the reporters. I guess isn't asking questions as much anymore, but oh well. Well, Jake, I, I appreciate so much saying, and you've got open invitation to come back anytime. Um, you know, we're journalists ourselves. Um, we work for Dispatch and Cincinnati Inquirer, and uh, we love we love to work for the Ohio Capital Journal. I mean, oftentimes we'll use Ohio Capital Journal if we don't have the manpower to cover everything our own. So we appreciate the work you do and love to have you on whenever you can to, to talk your stories. Um, have a great – well, before we let you go, how do we connect with you on Twitter? Oh, oh, I'm on Twitter. I'm at Jake underscore Zuckerman. And subscribe to our newsletter if you don't already. Yeah, OhioCapitalJournal.com. Very good. Lots of good information. And, yeah, subscribe to that in addition to – uh, Dispatch Inquirer, a lot of great, fantastic uh, Sayhouse coverage, and they're one of the main sources. So thanks, Jake. Stick around for a second afterwards, and we appreciate it, and thanks for listening to Ohio. You guys have a great day.